Hello, how are you doing? Welcome along to the podcast Sport and Life. Thank you for hitting on the button. If you're an England football fan, might be a little bit nervous today. Wednesday, the 7th of July, Judgment Day or thereabouts at Denmark at Wembley, coming up in the semi-final of Euro 2020. Uh, Danes on a fairy tale story of their own, aren't there? But it's going to be nerve-wracking. Never seen England in a final. I'll be at work at Sky Sports News later to witness that. So uh, fingers crossed. Hope it's a relatively calm night. It's been relatively smooth already, hasn't it? As I was speaking to Tom White on the podcast yesterday, fellow Sky Sports broadcaster, about tournaments past for England growing up and how this one has been pretty anxiety-free so far. We shall see if that lasts tonight. Wembley, 8 p.m. kickoff. Anyway, thank you for being here. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, who are specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high-quality customer service and installations. Check out Bang Olufsen Cheltenham website, B&O underscore Cheltenham on Twitter and Instagram. Big shout-out to one of their engineers, actually, Robin, who has uh, refurbished and repaired a 1960s Bangalorsen player that was bought in Germany by my grandparents and my father has inherited it. So big shout out to Bangalorsen Cheltenham for that. Obviously, the modern equipment slightly different, more refined, but it's not only the Bangalorsen equipment you can get in their fine store in Montpellier in the heart of Cheltenham. You can also, through the company Serene AV, through Jason Briggs' team, source whatever entertainment equipment suits your needs your vision your budget best get in touch with them and through serene av they can do that the sister company or you get bang olufsen equipment in the store as well so thank you to them thank you to cytoplan which is a food-based supplement company not far from here in the picturesque village of hanley swan now food-based supplements means they're digested like food my father dr mark draper has worked as a consultant as a I guess, a seminar leader for Cytoplan over the past 20 years or so. He, being a general practitioner doctor, was an anaesthetist before that, but also had a parallel career in nutrition, particularly micronutrition, his area of interest. Trace elements like selenium and zinc in the soil is something that's perturbed him over the years, the, the, the sort of depleting stores of those percentages in in the soil in the uk at least so he's big on that he likes the uh, the holistic sort of multivitamin formulas vitamin formulas foundation formula at cytoplan and indeed the immune complete range which i take immune complete too as an adult man or at least pretending to be an adult man but at cytoplan.co.uk c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk there is a discount available associated with the podcast sport and life which you're listening to now it is draper 10 r d r a p e r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter r right onto the podcast this is an audio offering but it was initially a video preview filmed ahead of the ufc 264 showdown this coming weekend in las vegas nevada saturday night vegas time sunday morning early hours of Sunday morning, UK time, but intriguing match, a trilogy match between Dustin Poirier of Louisiana and Conor McGregor, notorious of Crumbling in Dublin, Ireland. And it's the level 1-1, but Poirier won, won the most recent match pretty emphatically in January, despite McGregor making a good start. So fascinating to speak to UFC longstanding commentator, John Gooden, who followed Conor McGregor's path from relatively unknown tradesman in Ireland in Cage Warriors, the UK kind of mixed martial arts 
domestic competition all the way through to UFC glory, former two-weight champion, but now off the back of his fifth career defeat, the question has been, will he come back? Has Poirier got his number? This is likely to lead to a title fight in the 155-pound division, but just intriguing to explore with John the significance of Conor McGregor in terms of bringing this to a worldwide audience, this sport of MMA, which the CEO of PFL, another mixed martial arts organization, said to me recently that there's 450 to 500 million supporters worldwide which kind of boggles my mind when i think about the uk population it's only 67 million i'm sure there's a lot of those in asia a lot of those mma fans but it's uh, big isn't it what the total population of the world is seven billion eight billion maybe so it's uh, a big sport and conor mcgregor a big part of that the world's highest paid athlete according to forbes list from 2020 to 2021 180 million dollars i think 22 million dollars from that defeat to poirier but then he sold his whiskey company for I want to say uh, something like $150 million or something like that. So he's a phenomenally rich guy. So what is the motivation for McGregor now? What is the motivation for Dustin Poirier? Interesting. McGregor won their first match in 2014, but that seems a long time ago. Can he do it again? So this is a preview for Sky Sports. You can watch the YouTube video on Sky Sports' YouTube page. Appreciate them letting me share it with you. If you enjoy it, do let me know. So here it is, uh, UFC 264 preview filmed for Sky Sports with John Gooden, but also... Nick Hobbs, who's a Sky Sports combat sports reporter, may have seen him with the likes of Dillian White and uh, Derek Chisora, boxers on Sky Sports News and does a lot of UFC interviews as well for the YouTube page. So here he is, uh, Nick Hobbs and John Gooden with uh, me for Sky Sports. Hello there and welcome along to the Mixed Martial Arts Conversation for Sky Sports. Looking ahead to UFC 264, the trilogy match, Conor McGregor against Dustin Poirier 3. Very pleased to say UFC commentator John Gooden joins us alongside Sky Sports combat sports reporter Nick Hobbs. Gentlemen, welcome. John, let's start with you, with the man who's storied in the, the history of the UFC. Provide a <laughs> context for us in the near 30-year history what is the significance of this match where does it rank oh it's right up there this could quite possibly do the biggest numbers that we've ever seen on a ufc pay-per-view it features the biggest mixed martial arts star of all time a crossover star into popular culture as well and then you add that it's a trilogy these guys are one one right now uh, they know each other very well it wasn't that far removed, just back in January when we last saw them, where Dustin Poirier took that victory. So it's still fresh, it's building, and there's just so many questions around it, which makes it a fascinating sort of analytical project. But let's not move away from it. You know, Conor McGregor in any kind of fight is huge news. But yeah, this one just has a few different elements to, to give it that extra spice. Yeah, it's completely different level when you talk about Conor McGregor. He's sort of in that stratosphere of your, your Cristiano Ronaldo's, your LeBron James. But the best thing about Conor McGregor is he only competes twice a year. So when it comes around, everyone gets excited. And I mean, what's going to be a really good test for this, a great litmus test for how big Conor McGregor is, mm. is that next week we could be talking about a Conor McGregor fight on the eve I could jinx it here, but on the eve, perhaps, of England competing in the finals of Euro 2020 at the time of recording, we still believe. We still believe. And, and it's going to go again. People are going to get into it again, and people will be talking about it, even if England are that high up, or even if it's just a big game in the final. You know, people are going to be talking about it in the pubs, on Twitter, wherever you are. It's going to cut through. And I think what's going to be really good about this one is that what I love about a big fight 
is just trying to picture what is this actually going to look like. Mm. And even though we've seen option A and option B between these two, I think we're going to get something completely different. We're going to get option C. So even though it's a trilogy fight, there's still, as John rightly says, loads of question marks to get excited about. Yeah, there certainly is. As you say, there. let's not jinx it. Let's not talk too much about the football. <laughs> what a time to be alive it could be this weekend. It certainly will be uh, with the UFC match in of itself, John. You mentioned Conor McGregor there, his pull, that crossover appeal. Peter Murray, the CEO of the PFL Professional Fighters League, was telling us recently that he thinks there's 450, 500 million MMA fans globally, which seems a, a huge number. But presumably some of that is to do with Conor McGregor. But when we approach this, when we look at the motivation and the mindset, how key is that when we consider what might happen in a trilogy fight? Where do you think Conor is after that defeat last time in terms of his goals and, and his focus? Well, the fact that he's coming back again, I think speaks volumes. It's obvious that McGregor financially does not need to do this. Uh, I, I don't need to, I don't think that there are many that are uninitiated in the riches of Conor McGregor, but let's just say he's a, He's a brand. He's got multiple businesses that work outside of what he's doing uh, inside the octagon or indeed the, the boxing ring, as, he, as he's done once before. So that makes a very dangerous man that just taps into the competitive nature of Connor. He is truly obsessed with fighting. Uh, I've known him for a long time. Like I, I commentated on his fight since back in 2010. I've, I've been on the road with him and his team a lot over the years but not so much these days as he's gotten bigger uh, but still you know it's been wonderful to watch how he has changed and evolved but one thing that's remained the same is his competitive nature his attitude towards martial arts and when he talks about it the same things come up he is a winner these the men and women that get inside that octagon, they're not there for second place. And there's so much at stake, not just an L or a W in a win column, like your, your health, your longevity in the sport, all of these things are at play. And Connor is ferociously competitive. So you just know that he has given all of his resources towards formulating a strategy, a game plan, a body, a, 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 whatever it might be that is necessary to get this trilogy done and get back into title contention. Yeah, and historically he's always bounced back from defeat with one of those Ws that you mentioned. And Nick, it's interesting in the build-up to this, perhaps it sells itself, that's why it's been relatively quiet. But can we read into the relative silence? There's been a few retweets of commercial outings for Conor McGregor looking at his Twitter account the past few days, but not too much chat, not too much publication from him or publicity from him. Do you sense that, that suggests he means business? Well, he needs to. He needs to take this deadly serious because he got so much wrong in their rematch in the second fight back in January. His his approach to the fight, and I, th I think this was twofold. I think because the way it went, I think he thought he could he could in terms of the build up to it, he could approach it in a similar way. Lots of smiles, handshakes, hugging. It wanted to be very friendly. And I think he thought he could do the same with Dustin, and it, and it wouldn't affect the way the fight went because he beat him back in 2014. He probably sees Dustin now is backing himself as a boxer and he thinks, you know what, I, I, I can take this guy out if he wants to just, just throw mm. hands like this. So clearly the way that he prepared for the fight wasn't right. The game plan wasn't right. And that big thing, you know, this is mixed martial arts. You've got to use every weapon you've got. And one of Conor McGregor's biggest weapons is the pressure he can put on people during fight week, the chaos he can cause, the circus. We saw how badly Dustin dealt with that in 2014. 
he's got to use that again. So I'm hoping for a completely different approach to every aspect of how he's approaching this fight. And hopefully that shows that he is absolutely knuckling down and he's going to come out a completely different man. Yeah, it's fascinating to see that, isn't it? In terms of, I know Connor's referenced the ability to make adjustments in defeat, and sometimes you can turn that defeat into a positive, whereas the victor maybe has less clarity over, over what to do next. But Nick's there referred, John, to his personality in the build-up for that one. The contrast from the Poirier-McGregor first match, where he was that kind of vitriolic, animalistic, fired-up character. Is that an evolution of his personality, or was that something that he put on that sort of gentlemanly persona for the the second fight. Do you see that reversing, changing? I mean, one subplot is interesting that Mark Weir, the former UFC fighter, said to us at the time, he was really concerned about his family being with him, Conor McGregor, said that would have a subduing effect. I know there's science around testosterone and how being around young children can affect that, but even more so just your mindset. I don't know if you, what do you think, John, this time? What type of Conor are we going to get? Is it 2014 or is it a sort of uh, a hybrid? Well, I think what's quite interesting, yeah, you talk about Connor as a bellicose character, you know, we and we love that. That's what we bought into. So it did seem slightly odd to me that against Cowboy Cerrone and then the first time against Dustin Poirier, that he wasn't leveraging that because he he can create this unbelievable voodoo that people just cannot compete against. And it gives him one up. Now, here's my take on this. When you go back to... Connor's rematch with, with Nate Diaz. He wanted everything the same. They competed at 170 when they were both 155 pound fighters, but he didn't take that rematch at 155 pounds. He said, no, 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 we're going to do everything the same. 175, 170 pounds, that's the way it's got to be. So there are no questions. No one can pull something out and say, well, that's the reason why. I think Connor is approaching this in a very similar way I think that he's going to, I think he's, we've seen that there have been little jabs, but he's doing no media ahead of this. So we're not going to hear from him because I don't think that he wants people to say that he's beaten him mentally. And that's the reason why he's won the fights. I think he wants to go out there with the very best mixed martial arts game plan and take Dustin Poirier out that way. That's just the ego, and I don't mean ego in like a negative sense, by the way. I, I think Connor's awareness is very sharp. I, I just think that's the way he's going to play it so that the, the media and everyone else, not that I think he cares too much, but no one, particularly himself, can say that there was anything different and it all's fair and square the way that he gets his arm raised if, in fact, that's what happens. Well, John, you mentioned the weight there. It's interesting. He does want to fight at 155. Again, there's obviously title ramifications, perhaps a shot at, at Charles Oliveira if he prevails. But what does it mean about Dustin Poirier? Because Poirier revealed, didn't he, that he was open to the idea of having it at a heavier weight. And if people have listened, he's been very open on the Joe Rogan podcast at some length, talks about the difficulty that he makes making 155, or just the reality of it, given what he walks around at. Do you sense that could be a chink there with, with making weight for Dustin? Could that be coming a struggle for him? No. There's no chinks at all in Dustin. <laughs> There's a few bumps, bruises and things of that nature, but maybe some chinks in the bone structure, but it hasn't stopped him. No, he's, he's in that sense, uh, Dustin is pretty bulletproof. I just think that this was, it was an opportunity for him to, to do this slightly differently at 170, you know, a rematch and what have you. I think he was exploring that because he knows that, Connor has entertained that in the past. And let's be honest, it does make things easier for these fighters. 
This is going to be a more stressful fight week, I believe, for, for Dustin, because fans are involved now. Mm. And he was talking recently when he spoke with uh, ESPN, Brett Okamoto, that when you're walking out, you've got beer-swilling fans chanting all sorts of things. And he referenced that there were still uh, Irish supporters, even when they fought in Abu Dhabi. So yeah. he knows <laughs> he's going to have to feel the force of the Irish nation, as well as... Uh, well, and McGregor fans, as well as walking in against Connor. So the, he's already, I think, trying to prepare himself for that. So if he didn't have to make the weight as well, then that makes things even more smooth. <laughs> yeah, travel restrictions won't impede the Irish because they are, tend to be have a global presence, don't they? So there will be exactly a, significant, that. Yes. a significant following that. And it's interesting, Nick, when we talk about the, the first match, you referenced it there and the adjustments that Connor has to make. And there was a dalliance with boxing, a lot of conversation about boxing. And perhaps that was exploited with the weighting of his feet being forward and, and the calf kick. How do you see him approach? Do you see a different stance a different technical setup from from conor mcgregor well i i think so and I, i'd hope so um if you look at the the silhouette if you take away conor's features and just the silhouette of conor fighting against dustin back in january and the silhouette of conor when he fought say eddie alvarez you wouldn't be able to tell that's the same fighter against mm. eddie it's it's, it's the, the classic conor pose of very light on his feet weight on the back foot hands are down low chins a little bit up he's like he's inviting you to come on in um, and also he's throwing kicks. He throws these kind of round kicks and spinning kicks. And, and he's not just trying to cause damage with those kicks. He's trying to maneuver you so he can line up that perfect straight left hand he's got. Um, he threw one kick in the first round against yeah. Dustin Poirier. I mean, the, the, the calf kick is obviously something he's got to address. Um, it didn't help. I don't think that he was leaning over that front foot so much. And, you know, a lot has been said about how it's different when you're trying to check a kick from a southpaw to an orthodox yeah. stance fighter. So, but look, we're asking Connor to, to, to whatever he's been doing leading up to that fight, that's how we came out. That he, he planned to do that. It wasn't an accident. This is how we set up. This is how we prepared for it. So what I'm hoping we're going to see, if we're going to see the best of Conor McGregor, is that he reverts back to type. I'm just wondering how how easy that's going to, to be to do because, as mm. we said, that 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 way he came out for that fight back in January was intentional. He thought that was how he was going to win this fight. It didn't work. I'd love to see him back in the old Conor ways. Yeah, what do you think on that, John, the technical aspect of it? Do you see an adjustment from Conor? And if so, what does Dustin do? Does he, does he target that calf kick again, which is a technique that you've probably seen the, witnessed the emergence of and its effectiveness over the past five or six years. How do you see that subplot going? Because presumably Dustin has to anticipate in some ways an adjustment from Conor in terms of his, his body weight and stance. Yeah, well, I've got to say, Connor won the first round against Poirier, so it wasn't like a whitewash. He came out, and I, I think that he got off some very good, off, good offense in multiple ranges against Dustin. And so it's not like tearing up the blueprint by any stretch. This is small margins, you know, at the very top of the game, it's, you know, the 1%. So Connor will never come off, the, uh, come off his front foot. He's always thrown his uh, big left hand almost very... It's a very unorthodox, very idiosyncratic way that he does it because he's almost not even connected for some of the knockouts that he's achieved with that left hand. His back foot's sometimes not planted. It's the, the way that he does it is very interesting. He guides you it, not onto it. It's almost away from his left hand. And because he's got so much incredible reach for, for his size, for, for the weight class, typically 145, he's just extending all the way through it. 
Um, he uses a karate stance. Now, karate fighters are typically very elusive. You, it's range management. So Connor has to look to be more of a range fighter. He needs to be a little bit lighter and choose when to really sit on those strikes. Um, but, you know, I th I th yes, it was obviously concussive and we saw him get knocked out. But it was also the positioning. Dustin Poirier is an absolute master when he backs up his opponents against the fence. Oh, yeah. The way that he steps through from orthodox to southpaw, uh, he does a switch dance right hand or a switch dance left hand. There are not many in mixed martial arts. I think of only Max Holloway when they're in the center of the octagon, the way that he's able to carry through and push people back. But actually pressing someone up against the, the fence, I think... Um, Anthony Johnson was someone who was terrifyingly ferocious, but obviously a bigger man. But Poirier does it so well. So I'm not necessarily surprised that mm. that was the, the consequence. But I'm not also saying that Connor doesn't have to go and uh, look at some stuff. John Kavanagh is a genius. Owen Roddy, a genius. These guys created a two-weight world champion mm. in a very short amount of time. Yeah. So, uh, with, with limited resources compared to the rest of the world at that time. So I think small adjustments will pay big dividends, but coming back the other way, you know, Dustin Poirier has a, has a whole gambit of stuff and a wonderful arrangement of coaches, probably the, the strongest coaching team historically of the last few years at American Top Team. So this is really exciting. It, re it really is a truly fascinating uh, fight. Yeah. John, why do you think Connor sort of shaped up the way he did against Dustin in January because it, it, to me it, it looked a lot different it looked it, it was kind of a boxing stance it looked more like he was fighting for a, a southern area title at York Hall <laughs> rather than the Conor McGregor way he used to so so it, it was intentional he knew what yeah, he was doing yeah. that was the plan why do you think so yeah he he'd spent time uh, with Crumlin Boxing Club for sure it was the the I think um you know he was in his corner Manny Pacquiao talk around the time wasn't there yeah, that, I think that Connor was very open to um, boxing fights. You know, he's always been testing that water. So, and he'd had a, an amateur, um, uh, like an exhibition bout as well. And that was the only thing I believe that, that we hadn't, you know, in the, in the time that we hadn't seen him. So, yeah, I think he'd been he'd been falling in love with that, and he'll just have to pull back on that, and maybe as you say, get those hands maybe a little bit lower, go back to. A more of a karate style stance and yeah and go back to that but th this calf kick it's interesting to even hear him accept that there was a, a technical deficiency so mm -hmm. early on I mean I know that Connor's great in defeat he really is and mm -hmm. he shares his story and his analysis and isn't it fascinating how he can remember such details so quickly to a fight when most people are involved in the chaos of so much that's going on. I don't know about you guys, but we're all sports guys. Yeah. We're at events, like as a commentator, I get to the end of a night and I'm sometimes struggling to remember how someone won. Mm. Connor faces all of the bright lights and he can tell you, all, you know, second by second, what went on in his post-mortem, five minutes removed from getting out the medical tent. It's fascinating. So... <laughs> But that's the mindset of this guy. So never underestimate that. Even though he lost that last one, even though there's been some lack of activity, he is very well equipped. He's got everything around him and, and the, that kind of fortitude and the openness to make the changes. Mm.
and that's why I'm I'm all in on this. You know, I I, I think this is just fascinating. Let's talk about Dustin Poirier then, because Nick, there were people coming across this Sky Sports YouTube video thinking, I know Conor McGregor, but incredibly for some of us, they won't know necessarily much about Dustin Poirier. But put it in context, is he the best candidate in the division right now? We know Charles Oliveira is the champion, but when you look at his CV and what he did against Khabib in defeat, is Poirier, has Poirier got a case for being number one almost? He's got a case, but in terms of calling himself the number one at 155, Dustin won't call himself that until he becomes champion. Mm. That's what Dustin Poirier's entire career is about, is, is to get a hold. You know, he's had the interim belt, but he wants the full thing. I mean, he's been on a great run. We've seen him beat some great fighters, Alvarez, Holloway. He's been the biggest star in the sport in Conor McGregor. If he can do that again in similar fashion, I mean, he'll definitely be next for a title shot. But in terms of calling him the number one, I mean, mm. well, Love Dustin, love his story. You know, he's quite similar to Charles Oliveira in a way in that as fans, we've seen him grow. We've seen them come from defeats. We've seen them add things to the game. He's a complete fighter, Dustin Poirier. He's a fun fighter to watch. I'm not going to call him number one until he wins the title because just Dustin's not going to call himself number one until no. he wins the title. Does it, does it lead straight to the title, John? Is that where you see it going? And how do you see either man faring against Oliveira? Yeah, apparently... Um, apparently, I should say, uh, he was offered the title fight against uh, Charles Oliveira. Mm. So this was the, the option that, that he and the UFC went down. So, yeah, he, I think he believes that he's the, he's the next guy in line and looking forward to, to taking out Oliveira, which is, I don't, I haven't really been across what Oliveira has been saying recently. I assume he's been parading that belt around uh, at some length in Brazil as much as he can, of course. And, yeah. and he's entitled to, by the way. It's been a, a long journey for Oliveira. And, and yeah, as, as Nick said, that's it's wonderful to see guys like Oliveira and Dustin prevail. Um, if you're a supporter of these individuals, then, yeah, you can be very proud for the inspirational efforts. The um, everything is earned. Nothing is given. It, it's just blue collar. You know, it's, it embodies all of that. We'll get your predictions momentarily. Let's talk about the co-main event, Gilbert Burns against Stephen Wonderboy Thompson. Nick, give us the scene set for this because Stephen Wonderboy Thompson is, is certainly one to watch for, for the entertainment value, isn't he? But it's got significance at the welterweight limit. It does, yeah. And, it, we, you know, for years now, we've been trying to think of a new nickname for Stephen Thompson because he's no longer a boy, but Wonder Man <laughs> sounds stupid. So let's just yeah. stick with Wonder Boy. Yeah. <laughs> 38 years old, Stephen Thompson. And I mean... It's one thing to be still at the top level when you're 38 years old, if you're a big, hairy-backed heavyweight yeah. who's looking for the big... I mean, he's still at 170, six foot two, whatever he is. Incredible athlete. I mean, when he lost to, to Till and then that knockout to, um, to Pettis, I mean, the Pettis one particularly was quite worrying because, you know, Pettis got a big hitter at 170 and before, oh, is, is he now... On the slide is this is sort of the end of Stephen Thompson, and he came back with two just, I mean, he fought eight rounds against um, who was it? it was Jeff Neal and the first fight back after it. That's right, yeah, and yeah, he's now going in there with Gilbert Burns, who has just lost in the title fight to Usman. Mm. And what I loved about Burns going into that fight was was the confidence, and rightfully he was very confident. You know, he he just did a real job on Tyron Woodley and and now you just wonder is he still going to have that 
self-belief because he didn't just lose that fight to Kamaru. I mean, he really got taken apart. He got hurt. He got damaged. He was very upset. You know, that's not an easy thing to come back from. But he could be in a position now where he wins this fight with Stephen Thompson and he's right back in the mix. You know, we, we're being told that Colby's next for, for Usman. But after that, you know, sorry, Leon Edwards and Leon Edwards fans, but it looks like the winner of this fight is going to be right back in contention. And uh, I think we're in for a fantastic fight, a real thriller. Really interesting just to see where these two are at as well. I think it's going to be great. Yeah, certainly it's tough for the uh, UK fans to say with Leon Edwards, Birmingham's. Yeah, yeah. I hate it. Hate, hate saying it, hate saying it. But it just, <laughs> that, you, you know, you pick up on the vibes of what people are saying and it doesn't feel like Leon's got it next. Yeah, it's got it, every fight involving Wonderboy is a sort of throwback field, John, doesn't it? To you as a, a historian of UFC, because of the, it was all about the clash of different styles. And he's very much got this esoteric, spectacular kickboxing style, hasn't he? And Gilbert Burns has adapted, brought Raymond Daniels into his camp from the Bellator fighter. Can you adapt for, for Wonderboy or does Burns need to focus on his own strengths? That's, that's always the, I guess, intriguing ingredients to an MMA matchup. Yeah, well, I mean, just to layer that Raymond Daniels point, that's not just not just that any old MMA fighter, a guy with like scores of kickboxing uh, mm. matches, but a karate background, you know, and Kenpo karate as well. I think Kenpo and Shotokan. So he's got a lot of bases covered, very similar style or the same style to Wonderboy Thompson. I'm not saying they're a carbon copy of one another. He also has a win over Thompson as well back in the day. I mean, it wasn't like a destructive knockout uh Stephen tore his knee I believe so there's some psychology going on here but like who better who else could you have brought in so to that was a, a very good acquisition for the guys down at Sanford MMA for Gilbert Burns camp sounds like Gilbert's gone back to the jiu-jitsu roots a little bit he's approaching it with a, a white belt mentality which is a very strong thing to do he's a very passionate man Gilbert I've spent some time with him over the years he's one of the coaches at that gym he really gives back to the team. And ever since he made that switch to 170, he was able to compete more regularly and just rose rapidly. The, the gold is the key. That's what he wants. But yeah, we, we do have this, uh, this speciality fight now. Um, but I think, that, I think that we have enough sturdy skills from Wonderboy now to, to be able to deflect a lot of that but I mean I actually spent a lot of time on the phone to uh, Wonderboy's dad not that long long ago and he was talking about their system and it's all about getting it back to the feet mm. it's all they that is where they want to win the fight it's all about knockouts but you have to have that um, robustness against the takedown which Wonderboy's got he's related to Chris Weidman the former middleweight champion He's, uh, he's also related to one of the Machados. So he's got some of the highest level <laughs> grappling that you can possibly get at his fingertips in the family. You know, the Christmas, Christmas dinner must be a fascinating <laughs> in South Carolina. If you're into martial arts, if you're not, well, I'm, I feel sorry for you there. But I mean, he's, he's a wonderful guy. I, I really do like Stephen White. At 38 years old, you're lying. He's 18 tops. He's oh, incredible. It looks, it looks great in fairness. But Nick, what are the permutations then in terms of the title picture here? Because UFC's got an intriguing conundrum, or maybe it's a positive, but that sort of, I guess, welterweight upwards. It seems pretty solid in terms of their champions. Can either of these two threaten Usman? Is that what the UFC would want, is a, is a proper dust-up with the, the champion? Well, I'm not sure about Burns. I'm not sure how that would actually work. You know, he he, he lost to Usman and, and it wasn't overly mm. competitive. You know, Usman did take him out there. 
Wonderboy, however, if he wins here and if he wins in a nice style and looks as good as Wonderboy often does, I think that could be really interesting. Him view Kamara Usman would be a fascinating one because if, you know, as we're led to believe Kamaru's fallen in love with being a striker, mm. I mean, who better to beat him than one of the most dynamic and accomplished strikers the UFC's ever seen? And a guy who people will get behind. You know, everybody loves Wonderboy. Look at us, we're all grinning just by talking about him. He's just a fun guy to he's yeah. a fun guy to watch. Kid, yeah. yeah, he's a great, he's a great guy. And you know, if 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 Burns wins, you know, I'd imagine Burns would have another fight to get the title shot. Mm. I think, you know, I'm literally guessing here, by the way. If Wonderboy wins and if Wonderboy looks good, Wonderboy shows some style. He could be there for it for the next fight. And I'd love to see it. I would absolutely love to see it. I think that'd be really fascinating. I'd love to see Wonderboy against Usman for the title. Sorry, guys. Leon Edwards is calling me now. My phone. <laughs> I'm not sure I want to take this call. Yeah. Right. <laughs> well, but, but, that's the, but, that, but combat sports fans, will they'll be frustrated with that, won't they? The UFC is a little bit clearer than boxing often, but we don't always get the the meritocracy that perhaps we want. Where do you see the UFC going with Usman? Because presumably you, you might know more, but Dana White will want a, a credible challenger, will he, in the, in the cage for Usman? Or is it more about profile and and kind of following? Uh, I, I, just think he, I just think that Leon is undeniable at this point with the win streak that he's been on. And the first fight with Usman, okay, fresh challenge, wonderboy. If he comes through this, fresh challenge, and I get that. But, and his age as well. And I do think sometimes the UFC take account of that because if, you, if they leave it even longer like when Wonderboy's 39 like promoting a champion is that what just he hasn't got that many more opportunities to, to mm -hmm. get gold so I, I do see that whereas Leon is is the younger man but with a 10 fight win streak or, or unbeaten streak I should say that's I don't know how you can mm. how, how you yeah, can and that's a rematch as well isn't it potentially Leon Edwards against Usman from a historical yeah, exactly that and so it's so you can build on that you can build on that. Now, I think if, I think in the short term, maybe Leon fights Masvidal, maybe on the same card uh, that Usman and Colby go toe-to-toe. -to -toe. It seems that like Dana's adamant that that's what's happening next. It's interesting though, right? I mean, the welterweight division is, it, it's one of the toughest out there. And now we've got lots of, we've got lots of scrambling to, to align themselves for title contention. And Kamara Usman's playing everyone pretty nicely at the moment. Apparently it's Nate Diaz. That he wants to see out there next so i don't think the ufc will go down that route but we shall find out yeah it's, it's a brilliant time with a domineering champion but many challenges bubbling to the surface gents let's talk actually let's before we get to predictions let's quickly mark our cards with anything else you're particularly interested in nick i know you said to wait to you for last i don't know it's a bit cryptic so i'll go to you john yeah. uh, what, are you, what are you looking forward to elsewhere on the card i know with these ufc events there's so much to talk about so it's hard to pick one the Matador, Ilya Taporia. That kid is special. He really is. 10 and 0. Uh, he's fighting out of Spain, but he's of uh, Georgian parents. He was actually born in Germany as well. Uh, Georgian fighters in the UFC are on a heck of a run at the moment. Uh, Giga Chikadze, another guy for talk about Wonderboy, like Giga Chikadze was a former Glory, which is a kickboxing promotion, a very spectacular fighter. Uh, he's doing very well. And we got Roman Delidze. We, we got a few, but. This guy coming through is special and he's from Europe as well. Um, good looking fella. You know, they're getting behind him in Spain, very marketable. Uh, he's charming, but he's also going out there saying, I'm going to pick up UFC gold in two years. Now he's fighting Ryan Hall. For people that don't know Ryan Hall, we talk about uh, 
speciality fighters, those, those orthodox martial artists. Well, Ryan Hall is a grappler. That's what he is. He makes no bones about it either, like Damian Meyer mold. And he took out BJ Penn, like what we call an NMRE roll into a hill hook. So just spectacular in that range. Interestingly, he fought on the ultimate fighter that Conor McGregor was a coach on as well. So there's a few ties historically. But Taporia is like 22, 23. He's also a black belt on the floor, but he's got beautiful boxing, got a knockout in the octagon in his last fight. He's had two, two of them, two appearances now for the UFC. I'm very excited about this guy. Very, very stiff test. Difficult to fight who's a specialist as well, I think. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, if he gets through this, then I think they're going to promote this kid hard. Come on then, Nick. Give it to us. Big build up. Uh I wanted John to go first just so we could we could distinguish who's the purest between <laughs> us because I'm looking forward to Hardy versus two of Asa, you know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes, this is what I'm looking forward to. This is two, this is one big hard bloke who everyone loves against one bigger hard bloke who everyone hates, <laughs> and they're gonna go at it. This is the only fight above middleweight on the entire card. Mm -hmm. Um, when these guys win, they don't go the distance. Two of us has never won a decision. I think Greg Hardy's won one you know mm -hmm. one of the big losses of fighting without fans is that we haven't seen two of Vasa take someone's head off grab a size 12 from a crowd <laughs> member put a pint in it and throw him down his neck yeah. you know love watching two of Vasa he's going to be explosive and Greg Hardy you know you can you can not like Greg Hardy for obvious reasons outside of of fighting but he is gutsy he really is I mean this is a guy who two years into his career in MMA for Alexander Volkov in Russia and went the distance. So look, you, and he is working so hard. He's completely dedicated. He is making massive improvements all the time. His cardio is going to be an issue. You know, he, he suffers badly there. He's, you know, he, he's never going to be that kind of a fighter. So I want to give him credit. And this could be a great, I think this is a great fight for both of them. I think that they could both come out of this looking really good. Obviously, in my opinion, someone's going to get knocked out. <laughs> so someone's going to look really good. But it could be Hardy. It could be Tuivasa. It's a fun fight. What's going to be nice is you've got all these smaller weights fighting, and then suddenly you're going to hear this like... Mm, yeah, big boys. When these big boys get in the octagon, big fight just before the uh, Burns Wonder Boy fight. It'll get the crowd going. That's what I'm looking forward to, boys. Yeah, and that's what everyone loves is the, the variety on offer in the UFC and, and MMA more generally as well, with people with different backgrounds coming into it. John, give us your predictions then. I suppose... Give us Burns, Thompson, but also the main event. How do you see McGregor, Warrior 3? I'm afraid I'm going to have to be that guy. As a commentator who stands in the hallway with these guys, I'm going to say, may the best man win. <laughs> um, but I, it's, going to be, it's going to be really quite beautiful violence. I think both of those fights, some great storylines, wonderful characters, uh, even better mixed martial artists. So I'm going to hand over the predictions to Nick and I'm just going to sit here and say, have a great fight, everyone. <laughs> Go on then, Nick. What do you think? Main event, the book bookmakers can't split them very easily. Um, main event. Look, it's, it's, it is a really hard fight to call. It, it does look like a 50-50. Not sitting on the fence here. I will go for it. But it is looking like a 50-50. Um, it, it's one of these ones where I'd, I'd, I'd feel more confident making a prediction the closer we get to fight night, because I want to see what Dustin's like in fight week. Is Connor trying to get in his head? I think that's going to be hard. I think if Connor does try and get in his head, because 
Dustin can just keep in, keep in his mind, keep right at the forefront of his mind. I knocked you out in January. Mm-hmm. I knocked you out in January. We, you know, we, we've mentioned the um, interview we gave to ESPN where he says, you know, he's asked, what if Connor gets crazy? What if it's crazy Connor again? And he says, look, I put him on airplane mode last time in front of the whole world. Mm-hmm. So I'd, I'd be interested to see if, 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 if Dustin, if Connor does try some stuff, if Dustin can sort of keep that mantra there for him and keep, keep settled because, you know, in 2014, that was, a, that was a different Dustin. He was insecure. You could see he was insecure because anything Connor did, he felt he had to match it. He had to do something back to him. You know, even just before the fight, Connor gives him the, Dustin slaps his hand away. You know, he, he was yeah. in his head. He, he completely did him. So I'll be interested to see if that does happen. If that doesn't happen, I think I'm going to back Poirier. I yeah. think I'm going to back Poirier. And I think, you know, he's going to want to get out of the first round again. John, John's right. Conor McGregor won the first round in January. But Dustin Poirier wouldn't have been that upset with how it went. There was a lot of time on the floor, a lot of time in the clinch. What Dustin wants, he wants that. He wants it to be messy. He wants to be pulling Connor's neck. He wants to be fighting for head position against the cage. He wants him on the floor if he can. That's the safest place to have Conor McGregor. The longer it goes on, the more Dustin can turn it into a war. And if he gets his opportunity, again, like John said, if you can get him up against the cage, Connor, and he gets Connor tired, I think Dustin can take him out. So I'm going to go round three, Dustin Poirier, stoppage. We went through the whole fight. Um, we got we got there in the end. I love it. I love it. <laughs> There's a lot of caveats in there for me to get it wrong. John, if you agree, just nod yeah. once. If you disagree, shake yeah. your head. I love airplane mode. Quite <laughs> I imagine for, my, for my wife and daughters. Luckily, they're out at the moment. They can't listen to me talking about that. But um, <laughs> great to have you here, gents. Nick, thank you. John, quickly before you go, leave us with a, an assessment of where mixed martial arts is globally. I know you used to work for Cage Warriors in the UK as well. We've spoken on this channel to people from PFL, from Bellator over the past year, of course, the UFC. Where do you see the sport that you love? Well, you say globally. I mean, it, it's it's on a massive trajectory. We've had champions now in the UFC from as far and wide as China and New Zealand. They've been selling out arenas. I've been to all of those places. I've spoken to the fans. I've felt the energy. It's never been bigger than it is right now. And it's about to grow even more on the back of this huge blockbuster pay-per-view. John Gooden, pleasure having you here. Nick Hobbs, thank you very much. Thank you for watching, uh, dear viewer, and head to skysports.com for more MMA content. Bye for now. Well, it's going to be an intriguing match. I will, in all honesty. And we're going to film for Sky a review with Gloucester's Mark Weir, not far from me, former UFC fighter on Sunday from Sky Sports when I'm in for my shift at Sky Sports News. But uh, I will be watching it probably that afternoon on Sunday, given the uh, the week ahead and, and working a lot and actually working Sunday night around the England, potentially England. That's jinxed it, isn't it? Euro final, be it England or Denmark to play Italy, who we know beat Spain at the time of recording this. Uh, but yeah, look forward to, to watching that fight, probably on record, as I say, on Sunday. Uh, but thank you for Sky for letting me share that with you. Thanks to John Gooden and Nick Hobbs for their contributions. Fascinating conversation with two learned gentlemen there. And again, the sort of lessons for McGregor, as I read a book about Tony Bellew, about goal setting, the former cruiserweight world champion boxer. Interesting what we can learn from these people who visualize to materialize, to have these lofty ambitions and execute how we can take the lessons, which is a sort of idea, the kernel of concept behind this podcast was to try and unite sport and life. Why I'm still fascinated as just turned 40 in sport, 
and what we can take away, the metaphors, the courage, perhaps these combat sports people show in particular, but also that ability to plot, to plan, to execute as well. So thank you to those guys. Thank you to you for listening. If you like it, please rate it on iTunes. Let me know what you think. Ed Draper 81 on Twitter, Ed underscore Draper 81 on Instagram. Indeed, I say iTunes, but it's on 12 platforms now, the podcast Sport and Life. So if you could rate it, whatever metrics on the platform you're listening to, that'd be really great. And if you could pass it on, if you enjoy it, the conversation um, to a friend, that's always meaningful, I think, when someone refers it to to you, doesn't it? Someone you trust and, and respect, which I'm sure you have a, a lot of those people in your life. Well, thank you to you. Thank you to the sponsors, Bang Olufsen of Cheltenham and Serene AV, specialists in some of the finest home entertainment brands, providing solutions based around high quality customer service and installations around the corner from me. Fine people hope to play in a charity football game for them, actually, in a couple of weekends time. Jason Briggs and his team get in touch with Bang Olufsen Cheltenham and if you're looking to optimize your immunity hopefully one of the positives of a, a dark and stormy and depressing at times years has been the maybe reawakening of, of health focus and how we have to look after ourselves in the it, just not in the face of coronavirus but all other types of afflictions that can come our way maybe uh, supplementation a part of that bridging the final gap after you've got your exercise your sleep your nutrition right and if you're looking to optimize your immunity with some supplements food-based supplements from cytoplan c-y-t-o-p-l-a-n.co.uk the discount code with the podcast is draper10r so it's my last name d-r-a-p-e-r all capital letters the numerals one zero and the capital letter r thank you for listening to the podcast Fingers crossed for England in the football. May the best team win. Wish Denmark the best of luck as well. I've got a father at school of one of my daughter's best friends. Dad is Danish, so can't be too uh, triumphant at the school gates either way. Uh, But thank you for listening to the podcast and I hope you're well, guys. Have a good rest of the week. Bye.